Welcome everybody again to uh, to another episode of Buck and Stock News podcast. Um, this this week we we got a pretty special guest, Thor. Um, Thor's with us again. How are you today, Thor? I'm good, Cal. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, our our guest today he's been in the bull business for for a really long time. Kind of a influential person within the business. And I know myself and Thor are pretty pretty excited to, to talk to him. He was the first first ever Kent Cox award recipient Bonnie Sanford how are you I'm great how are y'all hanging in there awesome awesome glad to have you on you bet you bet so kind of to start I mean you've probably been asked this question a bunch but uh to my understanding you you rode bulls and, and rodeoed when back in the younger days well I don't know that I rode that many I got on a lot of them <laughs> you know I was Kind of like my son Riley, I was pretty tall, you know, and uh, but that's just my dad was a calf roper when I was real young, and I remember going to rodeos when I was just a real, real young kid, and I wanted got to watch a bull riding one time, and then my dad, the calf roper, was over, and that always wanted to leave, and I remember crying because I wanted to stay and watch a bull ride, and didn't get to stay very often, but every once in a while we'd stay and watch it, you know. Just, just always kind of intrigued me, you know. I, I remember, I remember watching quail dogs when I was a real young kid. He just fascinated me. Uh, some of yeah. the stuff that he did. He was still fighting bulls back then. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. He kind of uh, quail. He kind of changed the game for for the bullfighters. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. People didn't know how good a bullfighter he really was, but he was he was really pretty good. Yeah. So kind of leading into that, you know, rodeoing and, and you, I guess you say your dad was a calf roper and you, you what did you get him talked into letting you get on some calves at the house or what? Well, when I was eight years old, my dad had a real bar, bad car wreck and, and he never roped again after that. And he just worked. And uh, then, I, of course, when I got in high school, I got to hanging around going to some rodeos with some guys, you know, and and uh, kind of thought I might like to try it. And I, I remember I got on my first bull when I was a sophomore in high school. And then, of course, back in those days, you know, you could go to junior rodeos. I I tell everybody nowadays, they think I'm lying to me. I mean, you could go to 25 junior rodeos a year and never get 100 miles in the house. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there was junior rodeos everywhere. And then, of course, uh, uh, AJRA was big back those days. I remember we... When when I was nineteen, we went to uh, we went to Pecos, and uh, there were seventy two bareback riders in it. Wow. Yep, and there would be like ninety some bull riders, you know. And, and so back I in mean, back then, they surely they had to have a slack in the dang bull riding. Oh yeah, they had slack bull riding, bareback riding, and everything. And I mean. I, I kind of get tickled. Everybody asked me if I know Cody Lambert. I said, yeah, I knew him back when he was a little fat kid, about 12 years old. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah. he slimmed up and, and went on and, you know, and did real good. Chuck, his older brother, is a year younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, did you guys all grow up Grow up together? Are you Are you from West Texas? Yeah, I'm from Abilene, and Cody and them, they were from El Paso. But oh, you know okay. they had IGRA rodeos in New Mexico and and, and in Texas, you know. But, so what kind of you know what kind of led you into the to the bull deal and and kind of going off of that? Where where and how did you get your your first set of females? Uh, a buddy of mine had some practice bulls and I'd always flank those bulls for him. And then after I met my wife and got married, we were married in in uh, eighty three. And then shortly after that, you know, I, I, I'm a weller by trade, so I built a little arena there at the house, and I started buying some cell barn bulls and stuff and kind of going through them. And, and then, uh, you know, we go through, and then I found a, a ranch or two down in South Texas, and I'd get some of those F1 tiger stripes. And bull riders were pretty plentiful, and uh, but I had two boys come to the house, and, I mean, boy, they'd get on anything. And uh, I'd buy, you know, what I could afford in those F1 Tiger Stripe bulls, and 
guy's name was Kyle Ham, another's name was Kent Cox. And they came to the house. I, I kept books on them there one winter, I mean, between like Christmas and uh, like the, the end of May, they got on like 80 something bulls a piece. Wow. I mean, wow. if you'd get them in a buck and shoot them, I mean, we'd bring them tiger stripe bulls home and tip them. And the next day, we was getting on them. And <laughs> out of, well, those ty- out of that year, I think both of those boys made the short round, the AGRA. And uh, the next year, I sold those bulls at Texarkana. Two of them went to NFR. Wow. How old do you think those guys were that year? Uh, Kent was six, 16, Kyle was 17. Yeah. And then later on, Kent, uh, when Kent was 19, he's IGRA world champion. And uh, and then he was he was a high school runner-up, high school state champion behind Gilbert Crelo with the Nationals, and that throwed him off one of Sammy Andrews' bulls to win win the high school national championship. Then he went on to school at Vernon, and then a lot of people don't know, but Kent made the, the PBR finals one year, and he got hurt. And the alternate was Dean Wilson. Dean had to go in his place. Really? Yeah, Kent made the PBR finals one year, and then right after that, I think the next year is when he got hurt real bad. A lot of people didn't know it. Kent was blind in one eye. Didn't know that. Kent a bull crushed his forehead and, and severed it, and his cheekbone was severed his optic nerve. He could see see light out of that one eye, but he couldn't see anything. And, uh, anyway, I got started there, and, and I could kind of see we were just kind of at the mercy. The PBR hadn't even started then. So was there was there wasn't a registry at this time? No, there wasn't any registry, and there wasn't no PBR. And the only place we had to sell bulls was just kind of private treaty. And you know, I sold that set of bulls to Dale Hall. I sold another set of bulls to Texarkana, and. Uh, when I was 44, they ended up calling him Dodge Sport. I sold him at Texarkana for $5,000. Thought I'd never see another poor day. <laughs> and uh, Jerome, Jerome Robinson, two years later, won the second round. Uh, Jerome Davis, I'm sorry, won the second round in that far on that bull. But I could see where I was just limited, and it was getting harder and harder to find them crossbred bulls. And harder so, to find them in general or harder to find ones that would buck? Uh, just hard to find them in general and the ones that buck. And then it got to where when you walked in the cow sale, they'd run you plumb out of the barn. I mean, they would let you, you know, they thought, well, he knows something. And then everybody was kind of kind of starting to get into the bull deal. And so I got to talking to a man named Ronnie Roach. And I went up there and bought my first set of females. And Brad Fudge had a set of females, a set of heifers he'd got off Darrell Hargis. And I bought that set of heifers. I started with about, oh, I think seven head, you know, and out of that first set. And then I borrowed Houdini from Mitch Terrell. And I bred, bred Houdini to those. At this and time, did, did anybody know what Houdini really was? No, no. Was he balking or was he young or what? Yeah, he was real young. I mean, Mitch was bucking in the 13th or 15th. You know, he was he bought him for yearling from Ronnie. I see. And uh and uh anyway after after I, those calves got up a little bigger and I the first time I ever bucked them, I bet they didn't weigh eight hundred and fifty pounds. I told my wife, I said, I'm buying that bull, I don't care what he costs. And in the meantime, uh the PBR had kinda got started and the registry was starting. And Mitch he was trying to get rooster bought from Ronnie. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of boggled back there and forth. And and then finally I, I bought Houdini for $6,500. had to go to the bank and borrow the money. That's a lot of money, though, because that was that 20 was years ago or something, money. right? That was a lot of money. I don't remember what year that was. Yeah, that would have been, been 95 or something like that? 95, 96, somewhere in there, you know. And I bought him, and then it took off, you know. And uh, everybody thought, you know, a bunch of them guys that I used to, I used to haul a bunch of bulls, Billy Bob's. And Sandy Kirby told me I'd lost my ever-loving mind. You could have raised a bucking bull. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I can't keep going this way. Cause... But the greatest thing that ever happened to bull riding and bucking bulls is when they formed the PPR. Because if you got a bucker, you can take him, you know. 
And uh, I just it just amazes me. I never thought I'd see a bucking bull bring that kind of money. Ever. Uh, you know. But so you bought like, Houdini as a young bull. Did you start bucking him with a rider, taking him to I, Billy once, Bob's and all that, once, or what? Once I bucked him, once I bought him, I never bucked him again. So he you know, was. That bull, that bull, he, he was big. He was big enough after that. I bred him the first time. Mitch took him to Fort Worth to Tough Steel twice. He uh-huh. threw tie off both times. Yeah. Ty got brought him both times. He threw tie off. A lot of people don't know it. Houdini wasn't rode, but about maybe five to seven times his whole life. I mean, that bull had a lot of rare drop, and for a little short squatty bull, he would yank the washers out of you, and he jerked a lot of guys down. You know, <laughs> and. uh Cody always said, well, Houdini was a flat spinner. Well, he wasn't a flat spinner. He had lots of rare and drop. I mean, I seen him throw some guys off. I thought, well, they're going to ride him today. But I never seen anybody ride him. But they, Mitch said he, they rode him, I think, five to seven times. You know, But once I bought him, I got tickled. Mitch is going to go to Tufts. That next year, he said, I'm going to Tufts. You want me to take Houdini? I said, I ain't never going to buck him again. <laughs> and he said, why not? I said, they don't need him. It's liable to cripple him. He's worth too much to me the way he is, you know. Yeah, just a breed too. Yeah. So right. at this point, had, had you bucked any any calves yet? Besides, I mean, them them little ones have, have they kind of started coming on? And, and out of that first excited? set, of that first set, three of them went to PBR five. I don't know if Copenhagen Barracuda went, but I know Mighty Tricky went. And see that Mighty Tricky, he came from Mark Mitch's brother, and then Captain Hook come from me. So that first set, more or less, he had he had three of his sons at the finals, you know. And I bred him to a Jersey milk cow one time of my father-in-law's. And uh, Clayton Fulteen won a round on him at the high school finals. And me and Lane's always been good friends. And I told I, I was telling Clayton, giving Clayton a hard time, I said, this son gun bucks you off, I'm going to laugh at you. He's why I say his mama's a jersey milk cow. <laughs> and it was all, he was into his hand, and his head was dragging the ground when the whistle went off. But he wasn't <laughs> going to turn loose. Clayton, you know, he's like Lane. He just, God dang, he wasn't about to turn loose, you know. But, yeah. And then, of course, I bred Houdini to that MSO, and that's where nightlife and wildlife. And, and then after I sold her to Scott, you know. Uh, can, can you back up just a hair and, and... – Everybody knows what MSO is. How'd she come about? Uh, I bought her in that set of heifers from Brad Fudge, and he had he had bought had got a set of heifers from Daryl Hargis. And of course, Brad, you know he would he'd sell a milk goat if he could make twenty dollars. You know, and he said, "You want to buy that set of heifers?" I said, "What are they?" I said, and "He showed me that big old red heifer there." I said, "What she said? She's a daughter out of Big Ben Curse." And back this time, we didn't have a register registry. No DNA, you just had to take a man's word for it. And then there was two Dr. J daughters in there, there were six of them heifers, and then I can't remember what the other was out of. Anyway, when we ended up getting a registry, we run them back, every one of us, just the way he said they was. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they came, so so MSO came from Daryl Hargis to Brad yes. Fudge and then to you. Yes. And then I bred her, and she had her first calf at my house. Yeah. She's bred the Houdini. Yep. So, so did you did you raise Nightlife and and sell them to, to Tom or? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I've I've never really hauled any bulls. You know, Riley at one time he was thinking about hauling some, but we've always, you know, I've always worked and the kids were young and that's where Kent kind of came into play when he got in the bull deal. Uh, you know, I let him haul them and paid him a commission, whatever they want or whatever they sold for. And then we were at Stephenville one time. Julio Marino had a little red bull, a little yellow bull. He said, I'm going to leave these bulls with you. I said, Julio, I can't take care of them. I'm not going to be here. I said, but I've got a guy that will take care of them. And so I called Kent. We met up at Heartache Barbecue, and that's where Kent got Troubadour and Charlie Bullware. And that's when he went to working for Julio. You oh, know, well. and of course, he can't end up hauling Bushwhacker for him. And, mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it was pretty passionate, pretty passionate. That's all he ever wanted to do, you know. But a lot of people don't realize Kent went through a deal there with that CTE. He'd been, oh, he'd been knocked out. I ain't going to tell how many times. 
And there's no doubt in my mind that that's what led to his demise. You know, mm-hmm. I loved him. A lot of people don't know it. Uh, Kent Cox died that morning. My dad died that night. Lost both of them in one day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry yeah. to hear that. Oh, it was rough. It, it was rougher on my kids than it was me. Just, you know, both of them loved Kent. And of course, her granddad, too, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. So, not not to change the subject, but when you sold MSO to Scott and you were kind of getting off on, I could see that going somewhere. Right. Yeah, I sold her. She he he approached me, and of course I'd sold uh, Houdini to Lyndall Hurst and Gene Baker, and uh, me and Lyndall been friends all ever since you know the registry started, and then Lyndall approached me, and I said, "Would you sell that MSO cow?" I said, "Well, I'm not going to say I wouldn't, but it she'd cost a bunch." And so Scott come over and they talked, and I said, uh, "Well." And so we worked out an arrangement and sold her. And I said, when she dies, I want her head back. And before she died, you know, they were through. She wouldn't breathe anymore. Scott brought her to me. And I turned her out to pasture. And then the last two and a half years, she stayed up here in the lot. I've seen, I, I seen a picture that I think it was Rex shared on, on Facebook that right. she was 20-some years old. And, she and was 23 after- years old when she died. Yeah, and then he he come to me one afternoon. He said, "Granny's down back there." I said, "How bad?" He said, "She's not going to get up." So Warren Dozier, Doctor Dozier, the vet here in Abilene, and uh, me and him are partners on some some stuff. And and I called him. I said, well, "Could you come over here and put that cow down?" Well, my wife told me I wasn't going to hang that cow up in the house. <laughs> so Rex called Riley, and Riley said, "You have a taxidermist standing there," and he did. And when they put her down, of course, when she's buried up here right under an oak tree, we got the rock stood up there for a headstone. And uh, But they had taxiderm sitting there. And Riley's got her mounted. She's she's sitting in his house right now as we speak. And, boy, she looks at that taxiderm. She did a great job, you know. How old do you think she was whenever you sold her to Scott? No. She was probably twelve or thirteen, but that cow was in i mean she she really took care of herself she and and she you know she wasn't she wasn't wild she wasn't crazy and when she'd go around the corner or something to gate, she'd always look and make sure there wasn't no booger around there or nothing and she always <laughs> she never had to worry about her hipping herself or nothing, but she hated a dog. We were out there one time taking those cows. I never would forget Kemp come in for the weekend or something when he's going to college. And it was almost, and he had this Australian Shepherd. And gosh dang, she took off after that dog and run me and Kemp plumb up on the back of the truck trying to get to that dog. And I said, you put that dog in the truck, you're fixing to get me and you both killed. <laughs> you know. He said, I didn't think she was hooky. I said, she ain't till there's a dog around. You know, but. Yeah, she was. What What was her first calf? Do you remember? Her first calf was a uh, nightlife. No kidding. Yeah, wow. that was her first calf, and then, and then uh, we bred her to black powder, and, and something ended up happening to that. She, I mean, that heifer was probably two years old, and she got in some poison or something. And anyway, we found her dead, and then right after that, that heifer was out of black powder skull. And then, of course, wildlife was out of. And then I had I had two in a row. And J. W. Hart, the year he won the average at the finals, he come up here and bought both those calves, those bull calves. Yeah, yeah. Did you have very many daughters out of her? Uh, I had several. Clint McGuire bought a daughter from me, twenty. And uh, I, I sure didn't want to sell her, but he made it pretty hard on me. But. And, uh, <laughs> And then I've, it seems like I had another one. I think the last bull that I sold out of her, I sold to Gary Long and Rod Chumley, and he went up there to Washington. Yeah. yeah. Do you think her her daughters were real good like her? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they were. They they were good. 
that uh, Rangers pride that Gary Long had that ended up dying, he won a classic or something, was out of that 20 cal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember Rangers pride. Yeah. We we did a, a, a previous episode podcast with uh, Cody Lostro, and he has a cow he calls Party Girl, full sister to Nightlife and all them. And right. He's kind of based his whole deal around that cow and Cody right. raises buggers every I year. I sold that cow and another cow. I've got another famous cow that far, too. Yep. And uh, Joe Farley come down here, and he had some guys, and he begged me, and got, I've always thought the world of Greg Potter and Joe Farley. There was two stand-up guys. They'd come down to help us buck calves when they were still here. And, and I sold that cow to uh, a cow in a bar, two cow, to Jerry Farley. And then before Jerry left and went home, I think he sold that cow to uh, Cody Lostro. Yep. Well, there's there's a couple uh, couple other cows and and uh, little other topics we'd like to talk to you about, but yep. we're gonna take a, a a brief pause in in the podcast for a a, a word from our partners, Elite Breeder Sales. Our friends at, at Elite Breeder Sales are having a pretty special sale coming up. Um, the last of the of the Cross E females, um, February twelfth. EliteBreederSales.com. The sale opened up at seven seven o'clock in the morning, and the lots will start closing at seven p.m. in in ten minute intervals. Um, there's kind of kind of some pretty outstanding lots in there. Some of these females. Uh, Brandon Stewart, the owner of Elite Breeder Sales, is with us, and we're gonna let him talk about a few of these highlights. Yeah, Kyle, thanks for having us on here. We uh, this sale is pretty special to us. We uh, we purchased all of the Crossy uh, program, and they've raced a lot of great uh, Futurity and Derby champs throughout the years. And uh, this sale is kind of the cream of the crop. We feel like there's uh, there's five cows in here that are dams to Futurity champions, and there's also five uh, females in here that are full sisters to Futurity champions. So this, uh, out of the 22 total lots, there's 10 that are either full sisters or, or the mothers to um, Futurity champs and Derby champs, for that matter. Uh some of our highlight cows are there's a, a paid cow in there, R thirty two. She's a Hotel California daughter. Um, she's the mother to fourteen thirteen daytime crime that Gary Long gave a whole pile of money for as a two year old. Um, kinda went on to, to be a built for a tough bull as well. Um Ellis ten twenty, she's a surefire daughter out of stretch cow. She's a damn to uh sixteen eighteen catapult that DNH bought uh from Justin Cox and Chase Love as a two year old for Fifty thousand. That bull's won about fifty thousand in his life as well. Uh, Ellis six fourteen is the damn two futurity champ. Ellis five fourteen. He won over a hundred thousand in his career. And uh, there's a, there's several other good ones in here. The damn the seven oh three bourbon cowboy. He was uh he won second at the uh, at the very first futurity of the year this year. And he's got lifetime earnings of, of probably twenty five thousand or more. And he's just a just a an early two year old. So. There's several great full sisters in here as well. Um, two full sisters, Dallas 1413, the daytime crime boy we've already talked about. There's a full sister to 701 Living Large, which was the 2018 ABVI yearling champion. Um, a full sister to Bourbon Cowboy as well, the boy we just talked about. And uh, some, definitely some great females in here. So it's uh, the sale is, is February 12th, like Kyle said. It starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. The bidding goes all day. And it ends uh, starts ending at seven o'clock at night. Each slot ends in ten minute intervals. So be sure you check it out and uh, elitebreedersales.com will be the where it's hosted. And be sure you give us a like and, and a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, Cal. Well, Brandon, Brandon with Elite Breeder Sales, we appreciate it. And back to Monty. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Kyle Lippincott, Thor Smith, and, and Monty Sanford. Um, kind of we've talked about Houdini and, and MSO for, for a while and, and you were just getting going on, on bar two and, and, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the cow and I'd like to hear a little bit about her. I've actually got a daughter of, of bar two, uh, a playboy over bar two and, and a cow yeah. out in a cow out of what I say. And I, I like that, that bar two quite a bit. Kind of, you said you sold her to Jared with, with that MSO daughter. What, what's the, what's the story on, on bar two? Well, we, she just, I mean, her calf, first of them was, was that what I say, and, and I mean, he always bucked. That calf hurt his neck when he was real little, and, I mean, he's branded the same as his mother was, bar two. 
And if he had never hurt his neck, I ain't no telling how good he could have been. I ended up selling him to Cody Bear, But then we kind of started paying attention to that cow and uh, worked a deal with where I, when I first met B.J. Tobin, we flushed her to Playboy and uh, ended up with uh, several daughters out of that deal. And uh, then after that, you know, I bred her to uh, – uh, I can't remember what – Bred her to Mighty Tricky. No, that would have been Party Time's mother. Anyway, you know, we just we kind of figured out and then had that uh, party all the time. There were several other good bulls, time to party, and he got crippled, and we had to put him down and just kind of figured out, you know, that everything out of her, and I've tried to keep most of her daughters, and a, bunch, a lot of my stuff, foundation stuff, goes back to her. And the alt cow. She's a and, she's a Jim Dandy daughter, right? Yes, Jim Dandy was a was a bull that was bred to. We went up one year and bought the last eleven CP stand up CP cows alive off the white brick. They had Charlie Plummer's brand on them. Wow. Charlie had stand up CP. When Charlie died, they turned the CP down on its side. So these were the last set of cows that Charlie Plummer owned. And they were old. I mean, they were 15. Well, <clears throat> I couldn't afford to buy all of them. So I let a buddy, that buddy of mine, Kyle Hammond, on them. And I let Trent West in on them. Mm-hmm. And they got three cows apiece. And I got four. And I said, the black broke horn cow is mine. And Ronnie's the one that set the deal up for me. And, I, and Trent was just driving him crazy. He couldn't understand why I got that black cow. And I said, well, we get them on the trailer, I'll tell you. So we got her on trailer. I said, what's so special about that little black broke horn cow? I said, that's Jim Jim's mama. Well, she had a calf in her belly, and his, and I named him Jim Dandy. And this little son got bucked. But if he ever got mad, he would ball up in that chute, and he'd get so mad that when he opened that gate, he'd just look and hook somebody. Well, I bred that bull to that bar two cow. Not to, not to pause you for a second, but... You said Jim Jam, like like the Red Bull Jim Jam? Yes, the Red Bull Jim Jam. Gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, no, I'm sorry, the Bar 2 cow's out of Jim Dandy, so that that would have been a heifer, and then everything out of that cow just seemed like it bucked. I ended up selling that Jim Dandy to uh, a guy out in Mississippi, and then another bull calf out of that Jim Dandy. We were the first ones to ever ever import a bull to Australia. And uh, I think they call him just Dandy or something Dandy over there. And he's old now. But that's where a lot of those spotted cattle over in Australia that ain't going to infertilities come, come out of that bull. Jim Dandy was like a, a big spotted uphorn, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, I'd, I'd cruise the internet searching yep. searching as many bucking bulls as I could and I, I think right. the people they had a website in the south. I remember they were from yes. the south and they had Jim Dandy, I mean on the He was page. from Mississippi. Our, Chad Bridges. That's who bought him. Yep. Chad Bridges. Yeah. I'm getting to where I can't remember stuff like I used to. But That's yeah, interesting. Chad, I, I didn't know yeah. that I ne- I always liked Jim Jam and, and I I never knew yep. heck he was See Jim he, Jam was out of that black cow and out of a a straight limousine bull. Oh man! The year that Charlie died, they they was gonna get out of the rodeo business, so they just put some limousine bulls in on them cows. And then of course they went in there and just sold those calves, and everybody bought them. And then I can't think of the boy's name that bought them set of calves, but he ended up selling that set of calves to uh, Freddie Cordell. That's how oh. Freddie Cordell ended up with Jim Jim. Of course, later on, he sold him to James Harper, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'll be darned. That's that's sure interesting. Another bull, and I, the only the reason I want to ask you about this bull is because he's kind of been a personal favorite uh, from I know you guys have bred to and stuff, but C2 get you some. See, he was out. I had a little black bull that I got off Ronnie Roach. We called him Scrappy 525. And this was before the registry. 
And I bred him. Ronnie told me, he said, breed that scrappy bull. Because we was worried about too much plumber blood. He said, that scrappy coming out cross. I said, breed him to them stand-up CP cows. Well, that bull calf was out of one of those stand-up CP cows. And uh, so he's a C2 was a straight plumber bred bull. I mean, people say that. <clears throat> they think just because they got spots on them, they're plumber. That's not right. You know, plumber was a man's name. It's not a breed. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he was a straight Charlie Brunt plumber bred bull. And Thomas come down here one time, bought a set of gas. I never bucked that bull. Thomas had already bought two or three sets. He said, I want to buy them before somebody gets to them. I said, well, this is how much they are if you want to buy them. Took them home, and I remember Toya Bolton called me and said, this is a buck in this little song I've ever seen in my life. And I spent the better part of 10 years trying to get that bull back. <laughs> and when I got him back, we had him collected, and the semen was marginal. And then he ended up dying here. I bred him like two years. The third year I put him out, he only covered about half of the 15 cows because his hawks and stuff, he got to where he couldn't even hardly walk. He looked good, but he'd shuffle his feet like an old man, mm-hmm. you know, but would still run over your butt. But that little son of a gun, I mean, I Did he bred good? Him. He bred real good. I wish I had him back right now, you know, but. You had some, we're kind of, I'm going to jump forward to kind of present day, but there was, there was some bulls. I remember it was probably three years ago now that uh, you, you bred to a crazy train son, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a non-winter at Bordertown and Rex showed up with two black Brammer looking bulls and smoked everybody. And yeah. I got to talking to them, and, and I want to say they were both out of C2 Daughters. Yes, yes. And those C2 Daughters, they're, they're getting a little age on them. You get a kick out of this. This year, when the boys come in and help me work cows, and we just bring the cows in, have to catch them with dogs, bring them in, worm the cows, tip some horns, and them C2 Daughters, Riley said, gosh, somebody, you need to get rid of them wild bitches. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm okay. I uh, throw too many buckers. But, I mean, That's you right. talk about some bloodthirsty son of guns. I mean, when you trip that latch, you better be on the fence. And don't even worry about pulling that gate around. Because if you're standing on that gate, they're going to come around that gate. And, I mean, they're not just going to run around there and blow boogers on you. They're going, if you're behind that gate, they're going to hook that gate. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're bad. They're bad son of guns. Do you know? I mean, you said you sold them as a calf, but is is that come from C two or or do you do you kind of your cows turned out on the country and you catch them once a year and you think that's where they come, get it from? Ah, uh, a little of both. You know, I mean, we can go out there and look at them cows, and, and they'll come up and I can keep them, and I can get out and kind of walk around the back of the truck. But if you get out, they're gone. You know, uh-huh. I mean, and we've just. My my youngest son, Rex, got a guy started coming over here about three or four years ago, and I'd keep him up, and I'd always miss three or four. But we had a guy come over here with some good dogs, and he got them good and dog broke, and now we catch them all every time. Yeah. You know, and that place is rough over there. I'm talking about it is rough, you know. But that's one pasture. But, Yeah. So now, since you've been in it from from the beginning, buying sale barn bulls to competing with bulls with a dummy, I'm kind of curious to ask you how what's your calf starting process? I mean, do you do you play the the yearling game nowadays? Or? No, I, I kind of refuse to play that yearling deal. Uh, I just I don't know. I, th- I think we ask too much of them too quick. And Riley and Rex both told me I'm leaving money laying on the table, and I probably am. And just like this year, we got the two-year-olds up and went through them for the last time. And uh, I think there were 14 bull calves left. And I let Riley take two for his his oldest boy, his his wife's son. Baylor's in the youth deal. I said, pick you. And I turned those ones out. And I don't know. I, I guess. And now here I am stuck with a set of two-year-olds, a set of winglings. A set of threes and four four-year-olds, and I guess I ought to think about selling. And I'm, I'm getting to where I can't get around down there like I used to. And <clears throat> I don't know. I've always kind of thought maybe I would haul bulls when I retire. I'm going to retire at the end of this year. 
but probably not. <laughs> I've traveled all my life pipelining, and I, I'm just getting to where I don't like to leave home, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I ain't never worried about being famous. I don't even like my picture taken, you know. But and yeah. that stuff just it doesn't mean that much to me, you know. I think every year, but there might have been one or two years since the PBR started, but we've had bulls that come from us that never PBR finals ever had. Wow. Yep. And I'm Dylan's the only one that can say that. And he's had bulls that never PBR finals they've ever had also. Now, there so might have been one year. Business. Sorry I, to interrupt. Uh, well, you know, back when we first started with Captain Hook and and Barracuda and Mighty Tricky and all them, uh, there wasn't no such thing as a dummy. When Tallman started that registry, the first year, it cost $1,500 to enter that first maturity. And we had them big old blue dummies. They was like 38 pounds. Wow. And I mean, it's, it's man-killing stuff, you know. And, and Will Fong designed that, that first dummy. And uh, since then, you know, they've chopped them down and, and whittled them down. But and and you could enter either one bull for fifteen hundred or you could enter five. You know, and it was fifteen hundred and you could enter you could bring up to five or just one. And that first year we had it over at Weatherford, Texas, and it was a winner take all deal. Twenty five thousand. Oh, wow. Yeah, winner take all. Rest of us got that gum feed tub, salt blocks, you know, I think Dalman gave us a bodacious bronze, one of them cheap bronzes, but and then the next year you know, they they paid places over at Stephenville. And then right after that's when they kind of started. I can't remember whether it was the third or fourth year at Stephenville is when Randy Bernard came up with the idea to start the ABPI. You know, and we all went in there and, you know, we all showed up there and it cost $25,000 for shares. So there again, I go back to my banker. My wife thought I'd lost my ever-loving mind. <laughs> and, and we bought in, and uh, and uh, if you I'm know, not mistaken, they're worth quite a bit more than that now. They are, you know, and, and like I've always said, I'll probably never sell mine. I've made that money back selling cattle because that, again, where that where the PBR up the level of what bucking bulls were worth, the ADBI has done the same thing, you know, because. You know they're buying yearlings now for twenty twenty five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, and but but it's also pretty goddamn tough. You know, just like last year. Gosh dang! I think you had to be ninety to catch a check at the goddamn heritage, and that's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, and I'm talking about legitimate ninety. You know, mm-hmm. and used to use ninety. And God dang! I'm fixed to win this thing. I I did a I did a little article for the ABBI actually on on the heritage and and I was looking looking back since now I did I did talk to Dylan but I I went and looked they had the previous from when the ABBI first took it over in 2006 hell I think the first first bull was not but 82 or 83 points to win the American Heritage right and that, now that that ain't that's not even sniffing the money oh no you know I used to always say. When we were going them maturities pretty hard back in the day, I said, and I mean them tough ones, I said, and even the classics, I said, you got to be 86 and a half to win the check. And that ain't true no more. <laughs> Used to, I'd always say, and they'd get through marking, I thought, and I'd always tell everybody. And I mean, that was the bar. And a lot of people took my, you know, I said, if you can't be 86 and a half, you're not going to win the check. And you had to be 86. I know one year we was 86 and a half, and I think we ended up catching the check at the Heritage, you know. And I said, that's always been kind of the cutoff line right there. Mm-hmm. You know? One thing I kind of I, I don't know much about, but when, when Tolman had the deal at Stephenville, there, there was a sale with it, wasn't there? Yes, yes. Yeah. Did you you ever consign anything to that? Uh, I, I can't remember whether I did or not. You know, and then and they had some sales back in, and well, I'll take it back. Yeah, I did. I did too. And, uh, and put some cows in there, you know, and the, but there was so much shortage of females back in those, those days. 
you know, everybody's just trying to get their hands on something that had fucking blood in it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that drug the coyotes out of the woodwork, you know, and there was a bunch of... But the, the only thing the registry did is it stopped that good old, well, if this calf looked like he's out of gunslinger, you say, well, this son goes a gunslinger, son. Well, that DNA stopped all that, mm-hmm. you know, but... Was that, was know. that, I mean, you, you gave an example. You bought a set of heifers that were supposed to be this way, and, and that's what they were. Was there people that were doing that? I mean, this, this oh, yeah. gunslinger that wasn't anywhere Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah, I'm not going to mention any names, but oh, yeah. but oh yeah, there were there was people that you know, and there was people there that it, it's it not any different than the race horse business or the cutting horse business or any other kind of deal. You know, there's people out there that that they're there for a quick dollar, but a lot of people get in the bull business, they don't realize how much hard work it is. Oh yeah, you know, it takes it takes a special, unique kind of person. It's like riding wrecks. They've been around cattle all their life, rodeo cattle all their life, and they don't think anything different. And I used to have to get on when they were younger. Somebody new would get in, they'd go, wow, look at that dumbass, or something <laughs> like that. And I said, you don't understand. You grew up in this. They don't understand. They need some help, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to us to kind of try to help them and tell them, hey, you, you probably don't want to. I remember we showed up to Heritage one time, and I'm not going to say who it was, but I walked by there, and he had one of them big rubber Vortex tubs, and I bet you there was 40 pounds of breeder's cubes in there and about a half a bale of alfalfa hay. And I waited for that guy to come back around. I said, you probably don't need to feed him that. He said, what do you mean? I said, you fix a tear his stomach up, he ain't going to be no good. Well, that's what I feed him at home. I said, well, that what you feed him at home where he wouldn't look the way he does right now. You know, but you probably need to get that out of there. So, so what's kind of what's kind of your opinion on you know being in it from the very beginning to seeing where it is now? Are, are we headed in the right direction? Yes, and the main reason we're heading the right direction is because of Jay Doherty. People don't understand the ABBI was was broke twice. I mean, flat broke, fixing to go under, and the PBR bailed them out both times. And they said the last time that's it. And they put Jay Doherty in there. And ever since he's been in there, this son of a gun. And Jay's fought some battles, you know, and some uphill battles. And still still is battling. But the ABBI is rock solid, solid. And I don't see it doing anything but just getting better and better, you know. And it's it's tough, you know, to make an association like that go. I mean, you look at the history of the other associations, you know, and, I mean, there, there's been some dry spells in there, you know. Yeah, especially uh, turn turn it around like he like he did. Uh, I wasn't too involved in the uh, previous uh, higher ups, I guess you could say. Right. But it seems like Jay's sure enough is is in it for for the long haul and, and wants oh, to just as much as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that little skinny son of a gun don't have no backbone because he does. Yeah. And he will he will stand up and and you know and uh, he's just you know he, he's got some backbone he's smart he thinks about what he says before he says it but when he says it he means it you know mm-hmm. and and he he remembers what he says too you know yeah. he's just not pulling answers out of thin air you know it won't happen very often that he says I don't know I'll have to check into that you know and. Uh, and that it, believe you me, that is a twenty four seven job. Yeah. yeah. So one, we're gonna, I'm gonna track back here, and then we probably better wrap it up a little bit. But uh, so I know the the modified Clyde and 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 bring it and stuff. Where where did where did that that whole deal come in? Because I know those bulls is, is sires bred a little different than what we've been touching on. Right. Uh. Lincoln Electric's bring it was out of a bull 907, a broke back five son that came from Dylan in HD. He was stifled. And Dylan told me I needed to buy that bull. And so I did. And he was kind of short. And then, of course, he had a, a buddy of mine wanted to borrow a bull, and I sent that bull over there. And uh, we grew up together. His name was Jimmy Nolan. And uh, 
he bred that bull, several bulls, and he had a set F1 tiger stripe cows, and one of them was smoked with Lord Hedge's mother. And he had a heifer, kind of a three-quarter sister. I'd send him another Houdini son over there. That heifer was like a three-quarter sister to Wardance, and I bred that bull to uh, – that would that would have been bring its mother. And then once I got Lincoln Electric Spring, and I bred my cows, and that's where I came up with modified Clyde. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's interesting. What mm-hmm. uh, I guess I could I could talk all day about this stuff. It's interesting. Yep. But what about the times? Times have moved forward. Things have progressed. Would would, would you breed the Houdini today? Uh, I I intend to going back to him, and, and you know I've I've, I've told Scott and uh, I, I've Scott Lindell and Gene when they bought him. I said you need to outcross this bull, and don't breed him to a plumber cow. And Ronnie Roach taught me that. And see, that's where Handsome Jack come in. He was out of a tiger strap cow in Houdini. That Chrome Molly that them boys out there in West Texas, that was out of the same calf crop. I sold them that calf. <clears throat> and uh, but yeah, what I what I want to do is I want to get get my cows and get some leg up on them and mm-hmm. get them for you know because nowadays you've got to have a bull. If you don't have a bull that can't take the rope, you ain't got nothing. Oh yeah, You've got to be able to take that rope, and and I mean it doesn't make any difference. Brazilian or white boys or whatever, they all going to hock that rope off in them. And if they can't take it, you just they're going to melt. They they ain't, ain't going to be there very long, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of the game, you know. Everything changes, but I would like to have Houdini back maybe later on. And put some of that speed and that intensity back in there, because that's one thing he did put in there, you know. And you still see a Houdini son pop up all the time. And it's well, wasn't it a out Houdini of, daughter? Didn't the Houdini daughter just win the Bordertown deal? Probably yeah, she, so. Yeah, she was ninety. She, yeah. but but to go with what you're saying though, she was she was out of a out of a war zone daughter of Hargis's, right. which was a gunslinger, right. you know. Right. Right. Man, she freaking broke off the ground, and and she was yep. she was. I think they marked her ninety and a quarter. You probably seen it on Facebook, but and she, I, in my opinion, she could have been ninety two or three pretty easy. Right, right. Well, that's that's good to hear. So what? You've got a lot of line bred cattle, Monty. Is that right? No, I, I, I did at first, but I'm I'm kind of trying to kind of trying to get away from that. Just like that old vet of mine that he's dead now. I asked him one day, I said, what's the difference between line breeding and inbreeding? He said, line breeding is when it works, inbreeding is when it doesn't work. <laughs> well, that was kind of my that was kind of my question is at what point, did, did, you know, what do you see in them or what do you, what makes you decide now it's time for an outcross versus later? Uh, well, my cows were short and I've tried to kind of get rid of some of my shorter cows and like the MSO cow, she had a lot of legs, she's a stand-up cow. And and like I said, you know, and we buck our heifers. They yeah. don't break. Uh, we don't. They don't break off that ground and kick it. I've had people chastise me for it, but I've had some. How many times you bucked your heifers? Uh, it depends. I buck some of them, some of them once or twice, and and they're, they're so wicked. I'm afraid to buck them again. I'm afraid they'll break their back. You know, but um, we bucked them. Some of them as many as five or six times. And that. You know, so you, know. you obviously. I assume that you haven't kept too many of them that didn't buck. No, no, no. I sure haven't. Sure haven't. You know, but do you see I, that the ones that tend to per, perform better also I, tend to produce better? Well, I'd like to say I'm seeing that, but you know, I've had some out of some bucking girls that didn't buck, and now you know, I kind of credit to that. I put probably put the wrong bull on them or something. Gotcha. You know, but, you know, uh, like I tell everybody, if I knew all those answers, I wouldn't be welding for a living. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah. Well, well Thor, uh, you, you've you been thinking about your options here? Oh, I came up with a few bulls if we, if, uh, if Monty play our game with us here. Oh, yeah. All right, so here's the game, Monty. We give you three bulls. 
And right. out of those three bulls, you get to decide which one in this hypothetical podcast world right. you want to turn out on your cows and breed to, which one you want to put on your truck and buck, haul him, compete with him, whatever whatever your game is, right. and which one you're going to put on the dinner plate and butcher. Right. So three okay. bulls I came up with, they're not all from the same generation, right. uh, maybe, maybe pretty close, but all great bulls. Uh, Lucky Strike. Plus 99 Hollywood and Western Wishes. I put 99 Hollywood on the dinner plate. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Uh, because he was just Tiger Shot Bull, you know. And uh, and uh, not really any any background to him. And uh, do you know if anybody bred to him? I'm I'm sure there was. I know they had. I'm pretty sure they had him collected, but I don't. I don't know, but. I've never seen it. I've never. Now that I think about it, I've never seen anything out of him. That if it was, I, I never. Well, he seen was him. a bucker. Yeah, he was a bucker. He's a bucking Jose. I think he came out far in New Mexico, and maybe off some of the Indian reservations. But he was a bucking Jose. But yeah, I would probably eat him. I'd put a uh, lucky strike on the truck and bucking, and I'd bring the Western wishes. Anything that bucks that long with a hundred and something outs. And plus, like I say, I, I know a bunch of those son guns, you know, you see all the time. There'll be a granddaughter, a dog, you know. I mean, yeah, I'd have that. There, there wasn't very many that, that had the rare and drop, and, I mean, the wow factor when Lucky Strike was going. Oh, that son gun was treacherous. That son <laughs> gun was treacherous now. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? Are you going to do the same thing? Yeah, I I I think so, and and I may I may would even breed Lucky Strike and, and Buck Western Wishes, and now Western Wishes is way more proven as a sire, but it it'd be hard. Well, to in a perfect world, I put Lucky Strike on the truck and breed the Western Wishes. Then the next year, I put I put Western Wishes on the truck <laughs> yeah. and breed the Lucky Strike. Yeah, there you, you know, go. Yeah, I probably put the Lucky Strike over the Western Wishes daughters. Yeah, there you, you know. go. I'm I'm kind of with him. I think. I think yep. so. I don't think I. I do think money is right though. Hollywood was collected, and I'm sure the Harringtons bred to him, and, yep. and I don't think it transpired very well. But. Right, right. And you know them old them old Brentles back in the day, because I handled a bunch of them. And I mean, you just uh, you just nearly have to hammer it out of them. But once you had one, them some guns lasted forever. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the reason you don't see that many anymore. But, I mean, back in the day, that's the reason them contractors liked them is because they were real hardy, they were tough, and uh, 20 bulls in the perf, 20 bulls in the slack. Friday night, 20 bulls in the perf, 20 bulls in the slack, and Saturday night, just the perf. And he'd bring 22 to 25 head of bulls. Wow. And them some guns have that. That have, well, that's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's seven trips. Yeah, and if, and I tell you what, you really didn't want to get on them on Saturday night because they were plenty <laughs> juicy. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he'd buck that many bulls, and they'd be lucky if they rode ten head of bulls. You know. Wow. Yeah. So he he was bucking them bulls in the slack, and then then bucking them in the perf, and then tr- run them right back, right back. You know, he'd buck them in the perf and run them right back to slack. Now they might they might have some slack calf open or something, let them blow. But I mean, I mean, there, there was some bad, wicked song guns in there. Uh, if Terry Walls would have had his card back in, he'd have sent ten of them song guns down that far. Him and Steiner had the best set of bulls going back in. Mm-hmm. How long have you been bucking your heifers, Monty? Oh, we've probably been. Uh, the first set I bucked was that set that Handsome Jack was out of, and that would have been. That was quite a while ago. That would have been in 2003. Can't help me buck them. We put a horse flank around them and tied a lariat rope to it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> that's what kind of got me to buck them because me and him, we'd we, we take bets, you know. And yeah. the best two looking some guns on there couldn't have jumped over a beer can. <laughs> and then the, the ugliest two in there kicked over their butt and turned back in the gate. One of them got the lariat rope tied. She got turning back, spinning, got it 
tied up around her goddamn feet, tripped herself, and oh, it, it was a wreck. Yeah. I love that. We we just got done bucking a set this uh, last weekend, and we do right. the same thing. My wife picks who she thinks is going to be the best heifer, and yep. my son picks who he thinks is going to be the best heifer, and I pick. I, of course, I won. My heifer yeah. was the best, but she was not the best looking. She was definitely the ugliest. Right, right, right. That old straight jacket of Mitch Terrell's, I wish y'all could have seen his mother. That was the ugliest cow I ever laid eyes on in my life. The, the first, cow? Yeah. Oh, she's immediately ugly. Her dad gummy ears just froze off. And I'll never <laughs> will forget the first time I ever went to Ronnie's house. I went over there to Roach's. Ronnie always called him the godfather of the bull business. That guy was so smart, but he would listen. And then I'd ask him questions, and he never would tell me what to do, but he'd talk to me till I until he'd say, yeah, I believe that's what I'd do, you know, and I'd figure it out. We went out there one time, and that little brindle cow out there had some ugly little horns. He goes, what do you think about her? I go, oh, she's all right. Well, she ain't going to tell a man his cow's ugly, you know. <laughs> and we went out there and looked around and everything, and finally he said, you're not going to hurt my feelings. What do you think about the brindle cow? I said, I, I don't really care for her. He said, that's Panhandle Slim's mother. I said, well, that makes her look a lot further <laughs> yeah, 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 and then that ended up being a rooster's mother too, you know. Mm-hmm. Over all the years, any of those heifers stand out to you? Can you remember any of them that you just thought, "Man, that one really bucked." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've of course we used to it was old VHS tapes, and we've got them stacked around here. I'd like to get them, and but I've had some heifers that you're twenty three and a half. You know, our let out gate. I can stand, I'm about 6'3", I can stand tiptoe and look over that let-out gate. I've had some of them girls jump out there and turn back, and you see the the, the top of that gate under their belly. Wow. <laughs> and matter of fact, Riley and Rex bucked a set of heifers, we'll say three or four years ago, and I come in off pipeline, I said, I want to, I want to go through them heifers. And we run a black and a red and white paint in there, and she's a, out of voodoo child's mother and out of best shot. Warren had flushed, we had flushed that cow. And we're on her in there and Riley opened that latch and I said, what'd you let her out for? He said, we don't need to buck her again. She'll break her back. You know, he said, just take my word for it, dad. She bucks. <laughs> take my word for it, dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of funny to see some of those cows and then you'll buck a daughter out of them and you know, and they'll be just nearly knock out the same tracks. And I mean, y'all will start seeing that in y'all stuff. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but I've always been a cow guy. I learned that from Ronnie Roach. I just, I love the cow and I love the breeding deal, you know, and, uh, but. So you do you, do you offer, I mean, do you sell your calves at, you like your bulls is weaning or do you like to go through them and see what you have yourself? I, I even, even though that, even back when I sold those weaning calves and two-year-olds, I would always go through them. And if they didn't buck, I got rid of them. I never wanted anybody to see any of them, and I sure didn't want anybody buying anything like that. Uh-huh. I sold some heifers to some boys one time. I got tickled. That was that set that I had bucked that Handsome Jack did, and this out in Tiger Stripe Mama says all Houdini daughters. Well, I had a couple of three over there, and I think Kent was here that day. And then boys come down there, and they said, they called me and we'll buy some Houdini heifers to come down there. And I said, these are the ones I have for sale. And that, well, I had them two or three culls over there. And like I say, they was the right cowboy. They had some chrome on them. That's pretty. And a guy, one of the boys asked me, said, what about them? I said, they ain't no good. What do you mean they ain't no good? I said, we bucked them. They ain't no good. We got ready to go. And he said, how much would you sell me one of those heifers for? I said, all oh, 650 like that, we got ready to go, and they loaded more trailer. He said, I want that red and white spotted heifer, and I said, no, you can't have her. He said, why? I said, because what you're going to do is you're going to leave here, and then in two or three weeks, you're going to break her off in somebody for about 1500 And I said, I ain't going to do that. What are you going to do with her? I said, I'm going to haul her to cow sale. He said, well, I'll be at the cow sale. I said, no, you don't know which cow sale she's going to. And I kept her for about another month, those three heifers, and then I finally slipped them up there and run them through the cow sale. Which back then we'd go ahead and brand everything. Nowadays we run them in there and we ear tag them with a number, and we buck them, and the ones that that stay here get branded with our our flying S and then a number, because I got tired of people calling me from the cow sale and say, 
I got a couple of these heifers here. What do you think they'll be worth? I said, they're not any good. That's why they're there. Hmm. So we don't even brand them now. You know. So people people were calling you wanting to buy the the heifers you took done took to the sale. Yeah, yeah. And I just tell them they're not any good. That's why they're there. You know. And everybody's got calls. I don't care who you are. You're gonna have some calls. You know. I got tickled one time. Sandy Kirby told me. I said, "Well, everybody's got calls." He said, "I ain't never seen one come from you." And I said, "That's my job to make sure you never see one." <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, but yeah. Well, Monty, it's been uh, it's been been interesting. We may uh, may have to do Monty Sanford part two. Well, uh, anytime, maybe, maybe even help, part three and four. Well, if anytime, and if I can help you guys with anything, just let me know. And, uh, well, heck, maybe one of these days we'll, we can cruise down there and there you go. Help you watch your bucks and calves or something. There you go. That'll work. Well, we we appreciate it, Monty, and and thank you for us. Y'all have a good one. Pleasure to talk to you, Monty. All right, bye.